TikTok. Derek the Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex Talk with Derek Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I'm very excited to bring you not only a colleague, but a friend. Amanda and I have gotten to do trainings together and, and have seen each other present wonderful things. And we just, you know, we, we hit it off a journal. This is a person I just like as a human. So, you know, get, y'all get ready for some, a little bit of crushing happening on my end. <laughs> I want to introduce you all to Amanda Luderman who has created a wonderful way to kind of look at er eroticism generally. And we're going to get dive deep into that, but you're a licensed psychotherapist specializing in the erotic dynamic of relationships. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I really loved your perspective when you and I were together. You, You had such an ability to be able to break down the connection we have with the erotic self and then how to explore that for ourselves and explore that with others. Can you talk a little bit about like your journey to kind of creating this type of therapy? It has been quite a journey and it's something that has, it's a term that has evolved over the years. Erotic empathy, I essentially came to, um, as I noticed that my work personally, my practice as a psychotherapist seem to be situated between mainstream psychotherapy, your, your generally trained psychological service providers, and sex therapy. I don't identify as a sex therapist. However, I noticed I was getting a lot of sex therapy referrals, right? I mean, a lot of doctors referring to me or psychologists who found um, their clients' erotic life-related questions kind of outside their realm. And, and in the last, so I've, I've been in practice for about 10 years now, just over 10 years, and I would say after about three years in practice, it was clear that the huge majority of the cases that I see, um, the clients that I'm referred, are, are focusing on their relationships, the intimacy of their relationships. And not only like, you know, the nitty gritty kind of communicative couples therapy stuff, but really that what I call the part of their relationships that they want more of, not less of. So I don't see a lot of, you know, your basic couples therapy. I really see couples whom you know, who are working through the blocks, the blockades that, that whether it's society or trauma or, you know, some of their personal body image related issues create for them that what we ultimately are doing is seeking to bridge that space between two people, that, that space where erotic flow between folks exists, where, where desire can be exchanged and, you know, uh, back and forth. So that's really the zone that I'm, <laughs> that my practice um, of psychotherapy is located in. We definitely fall into our, our niches as we start to kind of uh, be in practice and we start to really have folks come through our door and then we start to notice, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting some serious themes here. And, and you and I are, are at least similar in our journeys to that that experience like oh i attract this type of person or i attract this type of issue and then finding some deep comfort talking about erotic energy of talking about people's erotic experiences and desire and but also how does that fit in with their mental health so like when you think about somebody who's coming to you who is just this this 
new to exploring what does it mean for themselves to even have erotic empathy for themselves? What are, what are some of those first themes you're, you're helping them navigate? Well, self-empathy, you know, just having more self-compassion. Some people call it self-love. You know, it's, it's, these are real Instagram term, hashtags, right? People are looking at having a better relationship with themselves are probably looking to integrate compassion and acceptance for who they actually are sexually. Erotically, I specify as a word that is an interpersonally sexual word. You know, the interpersonal sexual is erotic, whereas, um, you know, the sexuality of a person, the function and dysfunction associated with one body is, you know, it's sort of an, a different level of, of these discussions. And when someone's looking to have more erotic empathy, we're looking at, you know, what actually turns them on, whether or not they want it to turn them on, what actually turns us on, okay? How do we actually feel about ourselves as an erotic being? How deserving are we of pleasure? How much time are we allowed for it to, you know, how much time is it allowed to take for us to get turned on with partners or alone? You know, do we allow ourselves what in fact our bodies need in order to be effectively satisfied, reliably satisfied in our in our erotic existence. And like you said, it's connected to mental health, right? If we're shaming ourselves constantly for what it is that we need or what it is that turns us on, there is without a doubt a low mood associated with that shame, right? Our mental health does decline if you don't have a sense of acceptance for your sexuality, sexual orientation, erotic identity, you know, whatever the case may be, your kinks, your fetishes, these are things that have direct impact on mental health for certain. Absolutely. And we as helpers, we sit with that space between that self-acceptance and that the journey to even touch it or find it and try to understand our senses of it. Like when you're when you're working maybe even with a relationship, and I say a relationship to kind of be inclusive because I know that you you work with ethically non-monogamous folks too and 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 lots of different relationship formations. So when you think about that journey to uncovering that erotic empathy that you could have for another person, what does that mean? What is that like, other than just being game to kind of figure it out, what, is it, what does it mean to actually try? Erotic empathy, uh, I describe as the active, because it is most certainly not a skill that you just get and put on the shelf. It's an active practice of accepting that whomever you engage with erotically has a drastically, most likely drastically different um, view of you than you in fact have of yourself. Mm. And so having erotic empathy means a person can find you really attractive when you don't feel attractive. They can feel rejected when you didn't even realize you were rejecting them. There are complex interactions amidst the, the, the really amazing vulnerability that we navigate as sexual beings, as erotic beings in relationships. So erotic empathy is just about maintaining that active practice of curiosity and openness to, to realizing that however you feel, chances are the person you're engaging with has a whole other unique and valid experience from yours. You framed something during your training, but you're, you're doing it right now. You framed this picture that I actually, I'm, I use now with my clients because I think it is such a wonderful way. And Amanda's clapping, very excited. You all can't see her. You can't see her the way I can. Um, but like the, that frame of like, 
If you feel badly about yourself, it does not mean that your partner will take on that mantle with you. And that you are, like, I, I kind of like to think about it almost like you are harming with that self-loathing, right? Like that self, that self inward, that turning, that shame inwardly or, or the self-hate or what have you, depending on the person. You are harming a person that maybe your partner cares about, right? Like that you are essentially trying to define how they see you for them. And I think that, that that is a unique perspective. And I don't know that we always slow down and take that extra step to understand that our perspective isn't all there is. Yeah, I think, I think the, you know, the industry um, that is couples therapy, you know, makes an unfortunate error um, of declaring that you have to have higher self-esteem or self, self-love in order to make room for a relationship. And I don't think that that's true. I think that it's actually a question of just skill, you know, mindfully refocusing your attention from the ways in which you may not like yourself and the, the reality of your partner. These are totally two separate things. Your chances are, I don't mean to sound pessimistic because of course uh, (laughs) therapists are eternally optimistic, but uh, if you don't like your body, for example, chances are it's going to be a lifelong battle, no matter what the actual state of your body because the internalized messaging, you know, the, the messages you've internalized, whether it's from people who were supposed to love you unconditionally in childhood, or whether it was an abusive partner, or straight up just reading too many Cosmo magazines or something, you know, the fact is that we, most of us don't love our entire selves. And you're not going to suddenly, just because somebody loves you, love your entire self. But what you can do is allow them to love you. That's my argument. Yes. And and I think that the what you're talking about isn't that that mistake. It's not I think we in the I think in the grander culture is that we hear that 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 trope a lot. You can't love someone else unless you love yourself because they say that as if it is something that is truth when in reality we don't ever really do it. <laughs> It's not ever really the case. <laughs> More than likely we are in some form of growth before, in the middle of, and, and in the future that we're never going to be this self-actualized, like whole perfect person and then can be in love or be erotically attracted to somebody. But interestingly, those people, you know, most of us who, who have at least moments where we can't love ourselves are, are so down to hear statements that tell us what, what, you know, what we can and can't do. So it's a really popular sentence that I think is going to stick around for a while, unfortunately. You know, you can't, you know, be happy in a relationship until you love yourself. We need to know that relationships are, in fact, quite healing. You know, the right relationship can say, I totally understand that you don't like how you look right now. And I'm sorry you're not able to feel erotic in this moment. But just so you know, like, I'd be happy to do you against the kitchen counter right now. (laughs) And whenever you're ready, you just let me know. I mean, there are couples who can have these beautifully lighthearted and important conversations about permission for one another. I think that's the really important thing here is just not in our own self-consciousness declare our partner's experience of us as invalid. Like, no, you're wrong to find me attractive right now. I am gross. You know, what are you talking about? I had a moment like that with my husband this morning. I went to sleep, I'm, you know, as, as we are, Eric, I curly haired people. Um, I went to sleep with like this mask in my hair 
this like you know delicious smelling like vanilla i don't know what conditioning stuff on the ends of my hair and put my hair up in a bun and went to sleep which is something to say on radio right why not so i wake up in the morning my hair is up in a bun it is you know it's in that state where of course i will enter a shower before seeing anybody else first you know <laughs> and but i'll have a cup of coffee first so i'm gonna have a cup of coffee in my completely you know, self-unaccepting, um, <laughs> comfy state. And then, but lo and behold, if my husband is just like, well, I mean, do you have time this morning? You know, the fact is I look at him like he's got four heads, like mid chewing. What now? Like I'm this? gesturing <laughs> around my head. People like, do you see the hair? Do you see? Like, it's impossible what is- to me that he would even think such a thing because I'm in my, I prefer to be invisible self-care mode. Anyway, but mostly we just laugh and, and say, I very excitedly rain chat because I'm not able to access my erotic self in that moment. My erotic empathy for me is going to say, I prefer to be able to find myself actually attractive in order to really be able to, you know, access my boldness with him and to, and to really get into it. So the, I think what's really important there is not saying you're ridiculous. I look disgusting. No. In which case, I would be rejecting my husband's initiative, right? Instead, I love his initiative, and I ask to postpone in order for myself to optimize the conditions of erotic connection for myself. And that's the thing I bring as the erotic empathy approach that's not dysfunction-focused, that's not, you know, I'm not talking about, per se, curing erectile dysfunction or something, you know, like curing my own inorgasmia or whatever it may be. What I'm talking about is honing in on these moments that ultimately, if we're not careful in relationships, become resentment or rejection or, or just disconnection, right, ultimately. So um, it's, it's a little hilarious because it's literally this morning, but it's a good, you know, any of these examples are good examples of the realities of uh, how we sometimes hinder instead of hone our relationships. Absolutely. You just said something really important, though, that you, I, the thing that I heard that was key in that interaction was this, your sense of holding your own erotic boundary also while honoring your partner. Absolutely. It's a tricky, nuanced response that, let's be real, folks, this takes some fucking practice. This takes practice. And you, and when you do work like with people like Amanda and I, you don't necessarily, you aren't cured. You're never going to not screw it up again. Yeah, no, you're going to put your foot in it. You're going to fuck it up. <laughs> but you, what you're talking about is giving the opportunity for more flexibility in the interaction. I think for so many reasons, people fall prey to not being able to do this. And I, I want to give a few examples of that without, you know, leaving people sort of the taste of the ideal. The realistic is, for example, the person who's so frightened of not getting another initiative offered in the, you know, in the short term that they feel they have to say yes. In an act of self-betrayal, they choose to have sex they don't want to be having or can't quite access, um, you know, arousal during because they feel they don't know when the next time they may have sex is, or they feel that they have to be so grateful that their partner wants to be with them that they'll have sex they don't want because they can't imagine why anybody would want to have sex with them. I mean, these are these are real examples of you know all of which I can tell you I've heard this week, you know, and it's Monday. <laughs> um, the reasons why people engage in erotic moments 
is sometimes just as important as the the actual sex you're having. So if you feel you're having sex because you feel your partner may complain about not having enough sex, and so you're choosing to avoid a negative consequence instead of pursue a positive experience, we know right there that's an act of self-betrayal against yourself, right? It's an act of self-betrayal. And so the following time you have an erotic moment that comes up, you're going to be demotivated to pursue it. Of course, you're operating from that threat system, right? Like that, that amygdala is going, hey, 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 I'm not, I'm not super, I'm not jazzed about this. I'm not. I didn't like this last time. Yeah. And so being able to shift that and be able to understand that it's okay to be wherever you are in the moment and then maybe even verbalize that and let, maybe give a cue to your partner that this won't be the only time or or maybe like maybe from you maybe you have a maybe you have a good example of someone that maybe who is afraid to say no because they don't know when it may happen again or they're they don't want to disappoint their partner oh absolutely um i can tell you i'm working with a couple right now where um you know one of the one of the partners has a tendency to to sort of dissociate which is not uncommon during sexual encounters meaning that they may even have an orgasm but they don't it doesn't feel gratifying or fulfilling they they sort of feel a disconnect between their emotional connection to their partner and their physical experience sensations of pleasure very common from you know for a lot of reasons in his case he's had a lot of sexual shame in his past and so uh, you know, he doesn't want to say no because he really does inherently want to be the pleasurable partner, that pleasuring partner that his that his partner wants. But what happens for for him is that, you know, he continues within an act that he's not really feeling connected to. Oftentimes, loses his erection, or you know, doesn't necessarily feel very in control of his ejaculation, and it's just very unpleasant for him. So, what we're looking at is is increasing erotic connection. So sometimes he's having sex that he's not really turned on by. He knows he's objectively attracted to his partner. He, he's like, you know, thinks to himself, I know I do want this. He even fantasizes about his partner when he masturbates. But in the moment, what we're zoning in on is the fact that he has a distinct performance anxiety in relation to a belief that he is somehow ultimately inadequate as a sexual partner for his partner and for the the idea there being that he just is working from a kind of a hierarchical place and and in believing that he's not good enough he's lacking erotic empathy if his partner wants to be intimate with him to be erotic with him he has to buy in to some degree to the fact that you know, this other person wants to be with him and wants to continue to be with him, right? We actually, I laughed with a girlfriend of mine recently about how, you ever find that when your partner's looking at you, you might just say something like, what? What are you looking at? You know, that, that complete oblivion that they are just actually appreciating you as an aesthetic visual stimuli. They're <laughs> just looking at you, right? I know I do this all the time with mine. There has to be a certain degree of buy-in that the person you're with wants to be with you. And it's not because they want to be with you for how you have the potential to be in bed one day or, or like because of that one time you were great. They actually just want to be with you in your imperfection. 
they actually want to just be with you because you, you know, feel nice and smell good and, and they just want to be with you because you're you. And it doesn't matter if you did your hair or your makeup or if you, you know, coming in uh, from work looking all dashing or the circumstances are very trivial. I don't even remember what my partner was wearing or doing or in, in a moment of intimacy. I just remember thinking, it's you, it's him. Like, I, you know, and so th I think we don't have that view for ourselves. We view ourselves very conditionally. And so when you're asking, you know, what was the case of somebody who, you know, would, would need to turn down an act because they're not in it. I think what it comes down to is a person who isn't considering their own personal experience as valid enough compared to the initiative of their partners. So they're thinking that if somebody else wants to have sex with me, I, I guess I have to do it. And that means that they're holding another person's sexual pleasure as more important than their actual well-being in the moment. So we would zone in on that. This is how I felt about your presentation when you and I were together in, uh, in, in Florida. We were first and foremost just trying to get through the day with all the stressors. But aside from that, I remember sitting there listening to you and I remember thinking like, this is the often the barrier that I see with so many of the people that I work with of their, around their sense of self and then their sense of an erotic orientation towards their person. It is that very nuanced space of not being able to, you cannot experience how your partner experiences you. But it is almost like a, for lack of a better way to put it, a leap of faith that, yes, this person does just want to be with me. Yeah, and empathy is, you know, a skill in the first place. But I, I really, um, I have always felt that erotic empathy is a specific different thing. It's like a, it's a distinct part of the brain or something that we've just got to allow to be its own skill to it's the same skill that would allow you know parents who let's say couldn't possibly imagine that their kid will be okay if they're gay can still allow them to be gay you know because that other person is it has a distinct human experience that's different from whatever fears they have right i mean erotic empathy comes up in all kinds of different situations i think it's important to say that it's not only you know couples work obviously but it's a question of being able to when it comes to sexual related content, sexually related content, that there be a distinct effort to empathize that we know is outside our comfort zone because all of sexual dialoguing is outside most people's comfort zones. You know, we, we all, the world lacks sex ed as you and I could discuss forever, you know, and even, even sort of just sexuality is largely sexual humor. That's pretty inaccurate and, you know, crass, sometimes hilarious, but at the end of the day, not good relationship strategy. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So my wonderful person, how do people find you in the world? And uh, uh, do you got anything uh, coming up that everybody needs to know about? I think you have a, a, a general place where people can find you, right? Yes. So um, you can find me at eroticempathy.com or .ca. <laughs> I am in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I'm doing my sessions these days on Zoom. So if, if ever, you know, a brief consult to a long-term treatment plan, uh, I will just let you know my availability to whoever's listening. Uh, I'd be happy to, to be available for consult. And uh, I have some materials like uh, articles, media, et cetera, that are, that are findable online. So I hope this is a, a term and a, an approach 
to you satisfying your sexual lives that's helpful and uh like i said happy to clarify any part of it for you you are a rock star i appreciate you for being on the show and folks go to the website right now today and uh, look at all the things that Amanda has to offer. And thank you folks for sticking around. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.